this video deals a lot with body image, which is a conductory factor of what we're going to be talking today in eating disorders. Um, first, I just want to give a little bit of an overall overview of eating disorders that I just found interesting. Up to 24 million people of all ages and genders suffer from eating disorders. Eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. 91% of women sur surveyed on a campus college, college campus had attempted to control their weight through dieting. 22% dieted often or always. 86% report onset of eating disorder by age 20. 43% report onset between ages 16 and 20. 95% of those who have eating disorders are between the ages of 12 and 25. Women are much more likely than men to develop an eating disorder. Only an estimated 5 to 15% of people with anorexia or bulimia are male. 25% of college-age women engage in binging and purging as a weight. 35% of normal dieters progress to a pathological dieting. Of those, 20 to 25% progress to partial or full syndrome eating disorder. Body type portrayed in advertising as the ideal is possessed naturally by only 5% of American females. 47% of girls in 5th through 12th grade reported wanting to lose weight because of magazine pictures. 81% of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat. Bulimia is usually found most often in white Caucasians, however this is changing. 64% of people with bulimia appear to be near a normal weight range. 84% of them have a form of college education. Average men is said to happen around 11 times a week. Children as young as 6 have been known to develop bulimia, though it is rare in people under the age of... So what's going on with this? <clears throat> um, there's a Focus on the Family article out there that I really encourage lots of you to look at. It's a fantastic article because it's written by someone who's come out of their eating disorder journey. A lot of the influences that we look at, we live in a culture that is driven by the pursuit of perfection. Unrealistic expectations for a physical appearance are common for many. Conversely, satisfaction with one's own body seems rare for the vast majority of Americans. Society is obsessed with dieting and places great importance on thinness. We are bombarded with messages, visual and otherwise, that illustrate beauty and a thinness that few can attain. Airbrushing and computer enhancement are often used by the media to create the false picture of perfection. Body doubles are used in movies to promote the illusion of physical flawlessness. Many models seen in advertising are 13 to 16 years old, off, offering a representation of beauty. Sadly, individuals who do not feel affirmed and valued because they, they have impaired identities and deficits in their sense of self may swallow these lies, feeling that the only way to be accepted by others is to try to, try, try to strive for perfection. Eating disorders are the, often the result of entwining societal pressures, the individual's psychological makeup, unable to feel valued and wanting to attain accept, acceptance through thinness and perfection, the basic human activity of eating becomes fertile soil for the onset and progression of an eating disorder. Before we look at the different, the two main categories of eating disorder, we're going to look at anorexia and bulimia. I just want to talk a little bit about what's at the heart of the matter here. Um, I really believe that at the heart of the matter is... Um, Lots of people think and they get confused, which we're going to talk about this more as we go on, that it's about eating and that it's about um, your body image. I think that for a lot of people, like we said in surveyed and a lot of people that I work with, it starts there. It starts as a normal diet. They're just going to lose five pounds. It starts as, oh, I just want to get this part of my body to look a little bit better. And it's kind of like, um, I mean, I kind of think of it as like drugs, you know, like lots of people start smoking pot. Do they ever intend to do heroin? No. But it's like a gateway drug that like enters them in a path. And um, that's kind of a lot of the way that eating disorders work, the world of dieting and through the world of um, just... But at the heart of the matter, like I said, is not necessarily the physical issue, although that is a huge part of it. At the heart of the matter is looking for comfort and is looking like that they can control. For those of you who are here for the self-injury um, morning, you are going to see gigantic similarities in the way that people use self-injury to comfort and control and the way that people use eating. So I believe that at the heart of the matter really stands a, a worship problem. 
It's a dysfunctional worship. It's a worship of self. It's a worship of comfort. It's a worship of I want to be in control, which essentially, as much as we hate to look at it and as much as we hate to admit it in all of our lives when we look to anything that it is for comfort and control, it's idolatry. We are seeking to look to something else to bring us these things, and God says that he very clearly wants to be the So it just reminded me of 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is going to be a verse that we kind of look at a lot. And so what, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Um, I think a lot of the times, too, you know, why is this idolatry? Because you're neglecting the body, um, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and you choose to use your body to fix your own problems. You choose to control your circumstances rather than submit to God's control. Worshiping thinness are all worldly standards, not how God defines beauty. Oftentimes, we're dominated by the fear of man in terms of what are they going to think about me and what are they going to view me, and so you act out on that. A lot of times, it's deceptive, too. Eating disorders are a very deceptive behavior, especially bulimia, because you are going to whatever height and extent you can to keep your behaviors a secret and deny that there's a problem or that the reality of the level that it is. Um, a lot of times in bulimia, too, we talk about there's no regulation or self-control, so it's just kind of a gift. Um, gluttony and pleasure and then choosing to kind of, like, try to cleanse yourself when crisis already. first one we're going to look at is anorexia. This is... Oh, that picture's... I don't know if any of you are familiar. This is Isabella Caro. She is a French um, actress, and um, she is well-known for appearing in a controversial campaign called No Anorexia in France, where she was actually photographed... Um, nude and put all over this, like all over the country of France, in her like incredible thinness. Uh, when this right there, I'll show you right here. This is actually part of the campaign. In this picture, she weighs five pounds and she's five five. Um, she actually has done did many documentaries and trying to overcome anorexia to the point where she was at the point where she wanted to overcome it. But once you let your body get so far from eating, no matter how much you want to, to actually get your body to physically begin to eat food is a very, very process. She actually died last year in November due to health, complica health complications from a respiratory disease because she was trying very hard to get back um, to be able to be on top. You'll see that she, um, she actually she appears to have freckles. You can see in the one she actually paints those on every day um, because she felt like it draw attention to her eyes and keep people from looking at body. Um, she suffered with anorexia since she was 13. Um, she said that it was because of her troubled childhood. Um, this is a quote from her. She said, I have a very complicated childhood, very difficult, very painful. My mother's big phobia was that I would grow. So she spent most of her days measuring my height. She wouldn't let me go outside because she had heard that the fresh air makes children grow, and that's why I was kept at home most of the attic. Um, so at her worst, she weighed about 52 pounds. And she went into a coma, and the doctor said that she wouldn't survive, but she did. And she ended up coming out of that, and she did lots of stuff to try to promote what this is and try to use herself as an example of getting better. But like I said, her life was shared. So what is anorexia nervosa, which is the correct technical term for it? Anorexia nervosa is an eating disorder which is characterized, if you guys have your note sheet, there's actually fill in the blanks for this as you go along. It's an eating disorder characterized by intentional starvation associated with an intense fear of fatness, not subside with weight loss. It is most often found among women from middle to upper socioeconomic groups, and the percentages are increasing among males. Anorexics may be extremely underweight, yet insist that they need to lose more weight because they see themselves as fat. The person's ability to experience hunger, fatigue, anxiety, depression, and other sensations seems to be defective. And, um, one thing that I do want to um, touch on in this is that um, lots of times you're going to read things on the internet and there's different opinions on this. This is kind of why it is one of the hot topics. Is this a disease or is this a disorder? Technically, in um, 
most literature right now, it is still categorized as a disorder, although most people call it a disease in terms of, can someone tell me what the difference of that would be? Um, yes, I would say I agree with you like 65% because a disease, a disorder is something that not necessarily you choose to do, but it's something that is like wrong necessarily to something that you're like enslaved to. Like cancer is a disease, you don't have any part in it whatsoever. It is an onslaught against you. In order you are participating to some degree, although it has some like, you know, like you said, like it gets to the point with anorexia and with bulimia, it begins to take over. You did yourself so long to a way of life, it does have a part where it's no longer just about like, oh, I should just, you know, get out of this. But it's like, you know, take that's exactly right is that difference. But I like to make that distinction because um, I believe it gives us freedom. Lots of people find that it freedom in calling a disease because then they'd feel like they just need to get better and, and they look to other things. But I think it, there's a lot more freedom in having an option in it. Um, Today, I don't know if you guys are very familiar, but we're going to be talking a lot about Anna and Mia. And so, does anyone know who Anna and Mia are? All right. Anna is what um, people who, especially teen girls who um, suffer from anorexia, this is what they call Anna. They personify her. We're going to talk about this a lot. And they call it like their best friend, Anna. Anna is the one who helps them. Anna is the one who helps them feel in control. Anna is the one who encourages them. And so... Um, I just want to let you guys know that if you ever hear people talking about that, it, Anna is anorexia, and we're going to talk about Mia in a little bit, which is bulimia. So, um, just to get a little technical here in terms of like what a diagnosis for anorexia actually is, according to the DSM, which is like the um, handbook on psychological diagnoses, diagnostic criteria for anorexia nervosa includes an intense fear of gaining weight. A refusal to maintain body weight above 85% of the expected weight for a given age and height. And three consecutive missed periods, their menstrual cycles, because their body is shutting down and so it can no longer handle any of that. And either refusal to admit the seriousness of the weight loss or undue influence of shape or weight of one's self-image or disturbed experience with one's shape or weight. There are two types. The binge eating purging type is characterized by overeating and purging, which is very similar to bulimia. But with that, you actually have this extreme weight loss, and so that's the difference. And the type, which is the most common type that probably most of you are familiar with, is when you diet and you don't eat anything. Um, lots of people, I, I meet lots of students who will tell me that they're anorexic, but not, even though they are restricting their, their food intake in order to actually be anorexic. There's a certain weight category, a body mass index that you have to be, and it has to have that fear. Some people are super skinny and can't gain weight, but they're not technically anorexic because a lot of it has, they don't have a fear of gaining weight, they just can't. Physical findings, they're going to have a skeletal appearance, extreme weight loss, coarse, dry, sloughing skin. Um, when people are anorexic and go into starvation, they grow a fine, downy hair, that, which is white all over their arms and back and extremities. Absence or suppression of menstruation, body, reduced body fat, wasting away of muscles, brittle hair and nails, below normal heart rate, blood pressure, and body temperature. I will say in preparing for this, I've probably watched about 50 documentaries on anorexia. If you go on YouTube, there are like thousands of 13-year-old girls who have documented their recovery and documenting what they are. And then there's thousands of videos on how to be anorexic, and there's thousands of videos on how to deceive your parents and all this kind of stuff. But it's very interesting to watch, I mean, just the way that some of these girls look 24 hours spinning. Um, Behavioral changes, depression, irritability, glassiness, manipulation. If you think about it, if someone's not eating, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but when I don't eat, I get way more irritable. So it's like, think about not eating all the time. Conceals her body. They tend to wear baggy clothes. Um, to try to, like, make it appear as though they're fine. Um, diligent exercise. Avoids eating with the family in public. That's a huge one. That's a huge one. I'll just go eat in my room. Or I already ate before I came here. Or I ate while you guys were out. 
family structure tendencies often occurs in families with distorted priorities and relationships, overcritical, overprotective, or demanding. Um, anorexia responds to the family out of bitterness or potentially modeling or reacting against behaviors. All this is not true, but this is just what emphasize high achievement, perfection, and physical appearance conflict well and exert a great amount of control and manipulation. It's often found in legalistic control households and um, when people feel like they can't control certain. So this is a bunch of like medical complications of anorexia. I mean, if you can think about it, it's got to be no good for your body when you're not giving your body this very sus sustenance that it needs to be able to live. Um, everything from anemia to like infertility to bonus of thought and brain shrinkage, like your brain actually does shrink because of the dehydration and because of what it like. Um, one of the documentaries I was watching, this girl, she, she couldn't talk for three months because it got to the point where her brain just literally could not function to communicate. Um, osteoporosis, heart rhythm abnormality, all sorts of not fun stuff. All right, so that leads us to the next one that we're going to talk about, which is bulimia. And um, here at the top I have a picture of a girl and Mia. Um, I actually had this testimony written just for this um, presentation today because I am just really like in the world of eating disorders right now with a lot of my client load. So um, I just wanted to read this to you because I thought this was just fantastic. It's my friend Mia. Are we best friends forever? I met Mia when I was starving for perfection and control. She came to me offering both those things. At first, she came to me disguised as a friend. She put thoughts in my head and seemed encouraging, telling me that if I kept going with this, I would reach perfection and beauty. Mia taught me to feel like I was in control whenever I went to go purge. I told myself that I didn't have a problem because I wasn't scary skinny or anything close to girls pictured in the eating disordered section of my health book. Every time I get a little confidence boost from a friend telling me I'm pretty, Mia is sure to pop in my head and tell me that they're probably lying. At first, I only purged once in a while, only when I got really down on myself. Then it became almost every time I ate. Mia told me I needed to cleanse myself, and I always obeyed her. I decided to realize maybe it was a problem. I'm starting now to realize that perfection isn't achievable. It is not my friend, enemy, and an idol. But most of all, I am realizing purging no longer gives me control. It controls me. And that is a huge, huge, huge thing. Just like drugs, just like alcohol, just like so many things that we have in our life that we look to for dirt. Um, is that it gives us a sense and a rush, self-injury, everything, of control, but then it turns around and ends up controlling us. Um, I wanted to read a little um, paragraph from, for those of you who are not familiar, there's a fantastic eating disorders um, clinic in Arizona called Remuda Ranch, and um, they, the program director there, I just I liked what he wrote about kind of bringing you into the world of bulimia here. There is a common emotional characteristic which girls who develop eating disorders share. They tend to be hypersensitive. They are easily affected by the emotional content in their home. Home has tension, pain, anger, sorrow, guilt, or shame, regardless of their origins. Girls with eating disorders tend to personalize them. Feelings are then avoided or denied. Most physically store their feelings in a combination of two places, their stomach and their head. Right? So I don't know if any of you can relate to that. I know I can relate to that. I definitely store, like, my anxiety. Like, I can get nauseous or, or things like that or get, like, migraines and headaches. And they may perceive their stomach to be sensitive, queasy, big, or full. She may not have ingested physical nutrients to cause these perceptions, for it may be that she has literally swallowed her emotions. Stomach is full of emotions. It is extremely difficult to add real food to such a small organ. It is not unusual for these girls to be academically talented. They may direct their mental capacities toward controlling those into their bodies. They may have been called unceasingly stubborn or exceptionally gifted, yet what remains is the fact that this ability for self-discipline can be the trigger holding the eating disorder. That is absolutely my experience. I think they're some of the most smartest um, high achieving people and like I said they use their abilities to control this part of their life and it keeps them um, so stuck. So what is bulimia technically? Bulimia there's um, 
fill in the blanks here, is an eating disorder in which a person experiences uncontrollable, overwhelming urges to eat large quantities of food, followed by self-induced vomiting, abuse of laxatives, diuretics, and or extreme exercise. Persons with bulimia generally are aware that their eating patterns are abnormal and often conduct their behavior secretly. Total awareness on this part. Bulimia most often is found among young women in their late teens to mid-30s. They are usually of normal weight to moderately overweight. Persons who have below normal weight caused by bulimic activity add self-induced starvation have a condition that we be, they're starting to call bulimorexia. So it's like the combo like I talked about before. Like you can actually be anorexic because you've dropped so low below the weight line, um, but you're actually having like the binging and purging activities. So I just want to clarify because I think that lots of people think, oh, well, I overeat a lot. I wonder if I'm bulimic. Um, there's a very different... I wanted to talk about overeating today, but it was just too much to fit into one day um, because... Overeating is something I think that everyone kind of struggles with. But the difference is, is it's not overeating. Um, the difference is, really, you are eating out of control. Like, we're talking about, like, six candy bars with a gallon of ice cream with two bags of chips. Um, and then you are just getting all of it out of your body. And so, um, usually, the combination of vomiting, laxatives, direct exercise, usually, I've... Everyone who I've ever worked with has most of the time used all of those um, in combination with each other. So um, it's an intense job to keep this up and to be dedicated to this cause. But like it says, it begins to control you and um, it gets you. Um, so again, the DSM would define it and would give the diagnostic criteria of repetitive episodes of binge eating um, compensated for by excessive or inappropriate measures taken to avoid gaining weight. Diagnosis is made when the behavior is not part of a symptom complex complex of anorexia and when the behavior reflects an overemphasis over on physical mass or appearance. So there are two types. There's the purging type, which is the self-induced vomiting, um, using, you know, like lots of people use epicac or they just gag their own cells, rapidly removed from, from the body before it can be digested, or laxatives, diuretics, or enemas. Non-purging type, which these can be combinable or you can have just one or the other, which is um, excessive, excessive, excessive exercise. The 80-mile bike rides and the 13-mile runs, like, three times a week, and, you know, like, oh, I went to the gym this morning, I'm going again tonight, and then I'm going to go later. I mean, just excessive, excessive. Physical findings include frequent weight fluctuations, irregular menstrual periods, abdominal pain, muscle weakness, constipation, diarrhea, significant enlargement of the parotid glands located just below and in front of the ears, which and huge damage to the dental enamel. Behavioral changes, eating faster than usual, because um, it's a very anxious activity to eat and always, like, thinking you might be wondering if they're going to be bleeding fast. Um, eating until they feel miserably stuffed. Eating large amounts of food even though they are not that hungry. Um, after eating, it's this constant, why did I do that? And they just feel so upset with themselves. Eating by themselves so they are not embarrassed by the large quantities that they eat. And it's not like every single solitary meal they're eating gigantic quality, quantities. It probably is like once or twice a day, though. They're, you know, and most of the time it's not a meal. Most of the time, at least people I work with, it's like hidden snacks. So most of the time you go into someone's bed and they've like been axed from God knows where and just collecting them so that they can go on these binging activities. Um, problems with impulse control, intolerance, or frustration and difficulty expressing their feelings. Um, they seem to be very devastated by small deals in their life. Look to food for satisfaction and wanting to get rid of consequences. Family structure can be an environment where conflict, anxiety, and little structure exist. Marital dissatisfaction, general health problems, and alcoholism are also seen frequently. Again, medical complications of bulimia, severe kidney and heart complications, lung damage, 
injury to the intestines, injury to the esophagus, injury to the skin. Um, anorexia is very hard because it begins to shut down your organs and really shuts off parts of your body. Um, but in some ways, you get those to turn back on. They're not as permanently damaged as a lot of sometimes what people um, do, especially to their digestive tract through bulimia. I just want to talk one second and just put in here what the, um, we call bigorexia, and it's kind of like it's not actually in the DSM, but it's an upcoming and more common, common, and common um, problem. And it's muscle dysmorphia is the main uh, name of it. I don't know if any of you have heard of. Um, Body dysmorphic disorder, that's when you have, like, one area of your body where you just, like, can't handle, like, it. And so, like, your elbows or, like, your cheekbones or, like, your jawline, and that's the people who have, like, surgery after surgery after surgery after surgery trying to make themselves feel better. This comes, this is, like, an offshoot of that, and it's, like, um, you, you're never big enough. They actually talked a lot about this in the video. Um, so this is, like, more of a struggle for men, even though most men don't get exact extreme. Um, Constantly examining themselves in the mirror, frequently comparing themselves with others, hating the reflections, becoming distressed if they miss a workout session, or look, I covered it up. In the um, um, or one of their many meals, becoming distressed if they do not receive enough protein in their diet. That's a huge thing. It's like, oh, I gotta get protein, and it's like these protein shakes and these protein shakes and more protein and more protein. They use the anabolic steroids. They neglect their jobs, relationships, or family because of excessive exercising. They have delusions of being underweight or below average in their muscles. In extreme cases, they inject their appendages with fins just to, like, fill them up and to make them bigger. Um, constant mood swings, if you can think about it. They're, like, all on steroids and, like, eating and protein. Uh, you know, and so it's constant mood swings. Very moody. Um, being grumpy and short-tempered is a huge thing. And it's just very interesting because, again, it's just, like, another, like, vicious cycle that people get into. Um, this is just going, like, up and up and up and up in popularity, unfortunately. Average age of onset is 19 and a half years. And, um, yeah. That and, and look at that, too. So, as we look at this destructive um, eating disorder cycle, I'm not going to spend very much time on this, but um, it's a very similar to the self-injury cycle in terms of, okay, so I have this, like, um, suffering that I'm going through, and I feel overloaded, and then I panic, and then so I throw up, or I binge, or I purge, or I restrict my food, then it offers me a little bit of relief, and then I feel so shameful for doing it again that it creates more emotional overload, and then there, there I find myself doing it again. Um, and so this is just kind of the cycle of addiction that gets um, people started and just keeps them going. I wanted to look at the top ten lies in eating disorders, top ten truths, and this has been the next, like, couple minutes. Um, I'm going to go through them quickly, though, because of time. But um, I think that some of these are... Um, very common to many people and very common lies that people accept to one degree or the other. And so I just encourage you to look at your own hearts and see, okay, maybe I don't do it through this way, but maybe this is something that I kind of think. And the first one, and this is huge, especially among adolescents, um, I think among everyone, though, is that what I do and how people see me equals my identity and gives me purpose. Um, can anyone just combat that lie for me real quick? What is the truth of that lie? Yeah, our identity is in God. Yep, Paul? To enjoy the company of another person or to have a lot of qualities that are worth, you know, being friends with and being able to. Absolutely. Our identity should be in God and it should be in who he's making us inside of our hearts, just like you saw hopefully come out of her heart, um, rather than in what we are on the outside. So that's the first one. What I do and how people see me equals my identity or gives me purpose. Um, and then for those uh, maybe listening, then this will be on the Internet, and there's some phenomenal scriptures underneath that. I just encourage you guys each to spend time looking up 
Second one is, I must be in control, and I am the ruler of my kingdom. Um, I mean, this is a big one, is that somehow if you are not controlling the circumstances of your daily life, if you're somehow not making things happen and everything, putting it together, that it's going to get out of control. And obviously we know that God is in control and that he should. We're going to talk about the truth, so I'm just going to go through these. Um, third one is, when I am bad, according to my standards, because lots of people with eating disorders, they set their own standards. Um, and so when they mess up, they are kind of like the, the dictator of, like, I'm good, I'm bad. And they place these labels on them all the time. I'm good today, I'm bad today, I'm good today, I'm bad today. Um, I will deny or punish myself to justify myself. Fourth one, God must really be mad at me because I've failed so many times. Too many times. Fifth one, anorexia, bulimia, or Anna and Mia, my friend, and they bring me comfort. When I do well with my rules, I feel better. Fifth one, I deserve comfort and pleasure, and I will use food to get it. I won't have to face bad consequences if I purge. So I'm feeling down, I'm just going to eat all this massive amount of food, and then I'll just throw it up, and I won't have to deal with any kind of... Sixth one, or seventh, somewhere in there. No one understands my pain and the feelings I have. I will handle them my way, and no one, not even God, is allowed in. I do not need anyone. Next one, the meaning of life is derived by how I look, and what is going on in my heart really doesn't matter. Only the external is important. Next one, this is a huge one. This is a huge that I run into. I am in a good relationship with God, even though all of my heart, soul, and mind are focused on what I will or will not eat. In the video at the beginning, I love that video. It's not a Christian video, but I remember one of the girls says that it keeps you from focusing on other things that are really important. You're putting all of your focus and control everything that's going on here. Falling behind a lot of times in the social where you're supposed to be rated to be. Um, if I gain weight, I will be fat, even when underweight. And I, these, these words right here, being fat means I am a failure, disgusting, and I'll be some teen who's out of control. Those failure and disgusting words, those are like, I can't tell you how many like, times when I'm sitting with someone for like an hour, I hear those words against fear of those things and of possibly being those things. So with that, I wanted to make up ten truths that kind of combat those. And um, again, I encourage you guys to go home and, and look at these and to look at the scriptures that go with them. And the first one is that you were created for the enjoyment of God. And so again, 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you drink, eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I love this one. Zephaniah 3.17, this is always a verse that just brings great encouragement to my heart. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Um, and just the fact that God created to enjoy you and to love on you, um, not, um, not for you to be going through all this church turmoil that you're kind of self-imposing upon yourself and trying to perfect yourself. The second one is that your identity is not from what you do or how people see you. It is Christ, or it should be in Christ, especially if you're a child of His. How He has created you and the purpose He has given you. That's a huge thing. Lots of the girls that I work with, and even the women that I've worked with that struggle with this, it's like there's a huge purpose. These are like beautiful girls who have so many, like I said before, they're so talented. Lots of them are very high academic achievers. Um, and I just look at them, I'm like, oh my goodness, you have so much to offer, but you are just so stunted to, from offering that because you're just so absorbed in worshiping God and, and yourself, really, in this image. Um, your image and beauty are given to you to draw attention to God. God's measure of highest beauty is a heart that follows after him. Anything that we're given, whether it be beauty, whether it be talent, whatever it may be, is for us to be able to reflect people back to God and point to him. Huge one. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We already talked about that a little bit. And so the way that you're going to treat the dwelling place of God is um, gigantic. It's huge. That's a very deep commitment and a very deep responsibility that we have. Next one is that you cannot control. I mean, that's, that's the thing, is that 
you, the more time you spend trying to control the circumstances of your life and trying to control everything and make it perfect, the more frustrating that's going to be. Only a sovereign God can control and is good enough to know what we need. When sometimes we don't see it and know what it is that we need. Christ's grace available through the gospel alive in your life is the only thing that can clean you, justify you, and take away your shame. How many girls have I talked to that say, I just felt so dirty. I did not want to purge again. I did not want to purge. I did not want to do it, but I had to. I had to cleanse myself. I couldn't sleep like that. I couldn't stay like that for the rest of the day and just be so dirty. I had to do something to cleanse. That's a huge thing. I mean, when I think about that, I just think that that just breaks Christ's heart because he's like, oh my gosh, do you even know what I went through to be able to like cleanse you? I've already done this on your behalf. I have already justified you. I've already taken away your your sins. There's no condemnation for those who are in me. So drop that and embrace that. And it's hard because sometimes it's so much easier, I think, all of us would admit to try to find a way that makes us feel better about doing that. Um, so it's almost like the, the, the grand penance for these people is, I'll just do this in order to get myself back up to a good standing. <coughs> and that's where First John 1, 9, I always love it. If we confess our sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is his job. He is the cleanser, not us. No matter what we do to try to strive to cleanse ourselves, it will not work, and it cannot. When you choose your system of rules and behaviors, you estrange yourself from Christ. But submission to Christ creates intimacy and healing. You create this whole system of how eating works for you, and when how everything goes together and makes you feel better, and today I feel good, and I'm bad, and I'm bad if I do this, and I'm good if I do this. It, it's pushing you away and away and further and further away from Christ. And it's very hard to get close to Christ when you've created this whole system, this whole legalistic system. It has no system of that. Um, next one is that God is a jealous God. He wants all of our worship, all of our heart, and all of our mind, and all of our body. So when we are focusing all of our heart, and all of our mind, and all of our body on something else, he's just not ever going to be happy or content with that circumstance. Um, remember to whom you belong. 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, God paid a high price for you. Don't be enslaved by the world. You belong to Christ, and you are his, and you have an acceptance, and you have a belonging there. The last one, I think that this applies to all of us as we look at eating disorders, if we look at people in our lives who struggle with food, who have unhealthy relationships with fall, or whatever it may be, even in other categories, is that part of our responsibility is to fight to love what Christ loves and to hate. And um, I always bring this verse into everything, but I like it, so I'm okay with it. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you a life abundant. And um, that's just a huge verse for me. And it's like, okay, we got to constantly be making awareness of our lives in terms of where the thief is coming to steal, kill, and destroy and where Christ wants to enter in and give us this abundant life and how that's not happening. And whether it be our own hearts or whether it be the hearts of people we love or the people in our church or whatever it may be, I mean, I will tell you, there are many eating disorders that go on in this church. And so not that you have to be like... I don't see you eating a lot in front of me, but at the same time, being very compassionate towards that and being very understanding of that. So I gave the floor over to some of my clients over the past couple months as I knew that I was going to be doing this, and I asked them, what do you wish people knew? So I just wanted to give them a voice and give them the opportunity to say what it is that they wish people knew about eating disorders. And the first one is that Mia, bulimia, Mia, it feels like an actual... This is from the perspective of people who struggle with themselves and also who have family members or close friends who struggle with it. Okay? 
So Mia feels like an actual person who awful and awkward relationship with struggling with bulimia. It's uncomfortable to grow close to that person because it's like another person is always involved in intruding in that relationship. And that's a huge, huge, huge thing. That's so true. Whenever anorexia, Anna, or Mia are part of your lives, it's like any kind of relationship you try to deepen, and it's like they're always standing there, always telling you, oh, no, but oh, they don't really think about that. You should probably go do this. You should probably go cleanse yourself. They don't really think you're pretty up and trying to make you feel better, whatever it is. And it, that can be felt from the other person who tries to engage in relationships. Don't put off getting help no matter what stage you're in. It's a destructive force that, force that never gets enough of you. Eating disorder changes who a person is, change how they are towards you, how you are towards them. It feels normal sometimes because you've gotten so used to it, but the reality of truth and health has been gone so long. People always think, no, people always think this is because people, oh my gosh, people always this, it's because, anyways, what they're trying to say <laughs> is people always think that we engage in this because we think that's, that we're fat and that's the primary reason, but really it's because of bunt. It's about a bunch of reasons. And like we talked about, like sometimes dieting or like body image or like weight loss or trying to perfect this part of your body is the entry into this a lot of times. But when you get down to it, I mean, now it's just like one layer after another in terms of what you got through this. Oh, this was a, a tough one. You need to think about the criticisms you say to people and their weight in terms of their image in terms of what they say because it is the criticisms and teasing fire of lies play, playing over and over and works with the confidence to keep me as a close friend. What this girl is saying is that sometimes when she's feeling so dirty and she's having this battle in her mind, she's like, I know the Lord doesn't want me to do this. My eyes focus on Jesus. I'm not supposed to be focusing on myself. It's like those criticisms. And she'll like kind of turn them on and play them like when she was in third grade, fourth grade. Oh, you're fat. Oh, you're ugly. Oh, you're this. And she's like, you have to be so careful what you say to people and how you help them think about their body because it's those things that have been all stored for years that I just turn on and they fuel my fire keep this going. People with eating disorders, especially bulimia, are really, really good at hiding it. It's embarrassing. Most parents will be oblivious to it happening in their own home. If you ever think about trying it once, don't. Guard your mind and your heart because it will give you a rush of control and then it will completely take over you and control you. This is what they had to say. This is a bunch of teen girls advice to parents and I think it's fantastic. Um, your dieting mentality affects your kids. Your marriages teach them how to love and to be loved. Your responses to life's ups and downs teach them how to regulate their own emotions. And your obsessions about food are teaching them how to have a relationship with food, healthy or unhealthy. Even if that mom or that dad never had bulimia or anorexia when they're so constantly about their image, oh, I have to lose this weight, oh my goodness, look at my leg, oh my goodness, look at my arm, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It's teaching those girls to be like, oh, okay, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And it builds up in them a very deep insecurity and a very deep obsession with this. Parents' insecurities about themselves, especially moms to daughters and dads to sons, directly transfer over. That's why lots of moms, yes, maybe they have like the same physical build as their daughters, but lots of daughters, if you were to take a, a test and say, okay, what are you most insecure about their body? It's going to be very similar areas as to what they've heard their moms complain about their entire lives. You teach them areas of their bodies to develop paranoias about. If your children have weight issues, address it with them directly instead of making hidden comments. This then makes us feel like we have to hide how we feel. Instead of being like, oh, yeah, maybe you should like eat a salad or, hmm, maybe you should go run a little bit. There's, one of the ones was like, sit down and say, no, this is a problem. We're going to get help for this and we're going to work on it together. And put it out in the open rather than making it like these hidden comments that just make them feel shul and make them feel like ostracized. The one last thing is, you know, so how do you help the hurting? How do you enter into this um, with them? And how do you not find yourself in this position? Guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus and protect those of our children, our adolescents, and vulnerable hearts around us. 
I think this is a um, call that we all have to be engaging the lives of our adolescents and of our children and to be helping them think about their bodies and who they are and what beauty is and what Christ values and what the purpose is very proactively. So we don't get to the point where we're like, oh my goodness, they have to do all this backwards work. But we're teaching them, okay, what it is that makes you valuable. Combat the lies with the truth. And a lot of this is you don't always know the lies that are going on in people's heads. So the best thing that you can be doing is just speaking truth to them in order to combat whatever lies that there are going in there. The next one is have open conversations with those in your life regarding their thoughts about this topic. Ask them. Put it on the table. It may be awkward, but that's okay. Awkward can be awesome. Understand the dialogue in their hearts over this subject. What is it that they say to themselves? What is it that they speak to themselves? When they look in the mirror, what is it that they think? I often have times people stand in the mirror and they have, instead of thinking everything in their minds, they have to tell it all to me out loud. No one likes to do it. And I'm not saying you should go home and have your like 13-year-old daughter be like, stand in front of the mirror and tell me everything that goes on your head because that might not be awesome awkwardness. But try to, in terms of trying to engage in that and trying to understand that a little bit more. Uh, Model to all those around us our worship of Christ as we care for a temple. So this is a responsibility that each one of us has. If we are all the temple of the Holy Spirit, then each one of us has a responsibility for caring for our temple and modeling to whoever it is that's watching, whether we know it or whether we don't, how we care for that. Develop healthy relationships with food and our identity being rooted in who God has made us to be and who we are because of his love rather than our image and rather than what we are outside. The goal is to help teens and anyone struggling with this see themselves through the eyes of God and to accept the gift of grace and forgiveness that is available in salvation through Jesus Christ. And that's really the starting point for a lot of this, and that's hard because a lot of this you can't kind of turn around in your own hearts until you get to that point. Um, that a lot of the, the lies and everything came from a fantastic um, counseling eating disorder topic that I sat in at the um, biblical counseling training seminar in uh, Lafayette, Indiana. But um, any questions, real quick, for the discussion? Um... Well, I would say that anorexia tends to be more dangerous. Anorexia by far takes more lives because um, it basically, I mean, it kills you way faster. Bulimia has, like, lots of effects on the body, but um, anorexia, I mean, if, like, when I was on YouTube, it's one rest in peace, rest in peace, rest in peace, you're beautiful, I can't believe this happened, video after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. And it's just, frankly, yesterday, I was sitting in Starbucks on this really hard wooden chair, and I was like, this is so uncomfortable, I've spent five hours working on this, and I was like, I hate, right now in my life, anyways, I hate eating disorders, because I see this control that it has over these beautiful people in my life, and I just hate it. And I was sitting there, and I was like, God, oh, not only do I hate it, and it takes the lives of the people, now my bottom is numb, and I'm spending all this time in a hard chair over this stupid subject. I hate it so much. <laughs> but, honey. Oh, absolutely. Right. 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 And that's one of the things that I hope is that you can resonate with this, and you can see, like, okay, this isn't crazy. Or this, I think a lot, uh, I think I have tendencies. I think a lot of people I know that, like, aren't anywhere near this part point have things that they can, you know, empathize with this. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, on the first page. And those are all the lies. Though that on that, that second section that you had to do while you were sitting down, those were I don't know if you connected that, but those are the lies that we looked into. I just changed them a little bit to make them a little softer so you would agree. Fantastic question. I think the the first thing that you're gonna do is sit down with them and talk to them and be like, okay, I want you to be really honest with me. Because either way, something needs to happen here. And to be able to tell them, okay, um, I see these patterns, I get this sense, I don't have a lot to go off of, but this is what I see. Help me explain this for me. Praying that they're honest with it. And then if they you know, to a point, sometimes you can't do anything if they're not going to admit anything unless you catch them. And then that's where I pray all the time, Lord, help you to 
like, help me to catch them red-handed. You know, if they're throwing up, help me to walk in on it. Help me to hear it. Help me to get some hard, cold facts on what's going on. Um, and then the thing with eating disorders is there's so much that you can do to walk beside a person, but it is such a multifaceted, layered thing that they do need professional help to be able to try to sort through that and understand it because the rate of getting better from these is not the most encouraging rate. Um, like, it, it happens a lot in secret, and it happens a lot, and it goes on for so long. So they really do need kind of, like, a whole team of, like, peoples, of, like, doctors and nutritionists and of professionals and then of family and then people walking beside them to kind of action. And it takes, like, a village to help. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge thing. Codependent kind of is what you're saying. Yeah. Making it continue and not putting I think putting it on the table is your number one responsibility and saying, okay, look, this is what I see happening, and I'm pretty sure it's going on. Don't admit it. You can't control them, and you can't make them in. But then saying, but if you come to a point when you're ready to talk about it, or if you come to a point where you realize it's a problem, my phone number, here's my address, here's my email address, you come to me as possible, and I will take you, and we will do so You've made it available, and you've done that. And then, um, like I said, if you get to catch them red-handed, then you can intervene. Everybody says it. I was going to up all at him. Hurting the, that relationship. Yeah, the child. And I think, mm-hmm, and I think know, that's where, like, mm-hmm. John Ammons used to always tell us that the friend is always more important than the friendship. Yeah. And so when you are intervening in situations, and that's why I, when I have those conversations, I say, look, this kind of sucks, and I so don't want to be doing this, but at the same time, you are more important to me, and your health and your ongoing future is so much more important to me. Than, so even though I have no desire for you to be, like, angry towards me or any bad vibes, like, I will choose to, like, protect you um, in a tough love kind of way. Um, even when it doesn't, I don't want to do this. You'd have no like to stir up their life in some ways to make it worse, but in some ways you know it's not just to the doll, knowing, just or you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and so. it may be agitating some kind of further bad home right, situation exactly, exactly. that might actually overflow. But at the same time, like, and that's where we just want to be offering them. Maybe it's family counseling that they need. Maybe they need support too. And then, because I think a lot of times, like that family system does need some kind of like no one really know. I mean. I don't know, not many people, myself included, would know what to do if someone came to you and said, okay, this is your daughter and this is really, you need help to, like, think through that, process that, and um, that's where I would hope that we would be able to provide, like, all entities involved with some kind of... Yep, go ahead. Absolutely, and that's where you see the anorexia nervosa and the bulimia nervosa, those nervosa words are there because they fall into a category of disorders that have a lot to do with anxieties and so that's a very appropriate verse to end with and so just uh, so just in terms of say that part again dad just in terms of like okay so going back if we start at the fact that if we believe that a worship problem an idol of our heart is the beginning if that's the heart of the matter then where we have to end up in the end and where we have to end up for healing circumstances is to be able to redirect our worship to where it really belongs and that belongs to only one person like we talked about god is a jealous god he does not want his worship to go to anyone else he makes that so clear i'm sure that all of us could sit here and talk about circumstances in our life when he was like uh no you will worship and um and I think that that's the biggest thing. So when we take our focus, and this is um, a couple of my clients, we have the uh, Fix Your Eyes on Jesus verse taped to the toilet, right? Because it's like, oh, wait, I'm getting distracted. I'm about to engage in this activity. No, where am I supposed to be fixed? On myself and on what I want to control and on my comfort needs? No, my eyes are supposed to be fixed on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of my faith and will continue to work this work in me. So that's a huge place for whoever it is, for all of us, wherever we struggle with any kind of degree of any of this, is where is our focus supposed to be? Where is our mind supposed to be set? Thinking about our bodies, thinking about what we're eating? No, it's supposed to be 
focus fully on Christ and that the overflow of that will be healthy eating. You know, if we're doing all that we want to for Christ, then it's going to have an overflow effect. Not that it's just that simple. Like, oh, focus on Christ. Like, no, I'm perfect. But, like, it will have an overflow effect into our lives to start to balance things out and to point us towards healthy living in all areas of our life. Absolutely. And finding that Christ is sufficient and that he can, he can let us relinquish that control and find comfort greater than we found in anything else. Um, I'm going to play this song as we leave, but I'm going to pray for us. Amber, do you have a question? Imagining hands flowing up. I'm going to pray, and I'll let you guys go, and you guys can listen to the. I mean, it's just Redeeming Love. I, my favorite song is sung at my wedding. Plan to have it sung at my funeral, I guess you could say. Anyways, um, and um, the concept that everything that happens in our life, Christ is constantly working in it to redeem us and to be, I love that, to be saved to sin no more. All right, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day. Thank you um, for the fact that you are sufficient, that you are the great comforter, given us your Holy Spirit to comfort us. Lord, that you are in control, that you orchestrate events and that you allow and that you permit things all for our good and for the building up of your kingdom. God, I pray that each one of our hearts, no matter whether we're here in this room or where we are, what we're struggling with, if it has nothing to do with this or it has something to do to complete hearts that causes us to worship you above all things all the time. God, I thank you that you are strong enough that you give us your power to overcome anything. That through you we come and that we can have victory even and those seek to enslave us. God, I pray as we go now and we learn about the Psalms and we learn about what it is to have intimacy, we directly affect how we pursue you, how that overflows in all these areas. For your word and then it meets and it talks about so many things back to these hot topics that we have.